You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Before we get into this morning's message, let me just uh, remind each one of you that we are bringing our small groups as they currently exist to a close this summer. And in September, we're, we're launching Life Groups, which is a new way of doing groups in our church. And you have one month left to submit your group proposals. Anyone can propose a group, whether you've been here for a few weeks or whether you've been here for a few decades, you can propose a group. And uh, we're really looking forward to having a variety of different groups um, that would uh, cover the whole week uh, of daytime and evening and maybe weekends as well. So please do um, pray and consider, um, could I start a group? What might it be about? Uh, Talk to a friend, maybe float the idea with a friend and see if it's got uh, legs as it were. And then uh, please do propose a group. You can do so uh, if you receive our weekly update by email. There's a link in there where you can fill in a form online to propose a group. Uh, If you don't have access to the internet and you'd like to propose a group, just come and speak to myself uh, after the service. Speak to Tim Virgo, who's not here this morning, but will be uh, hosting next week, and uh, let us know what it is that you want to propose. We are looking forward to having... We hope for over 20 groups in September when we launch. So uh, please do uh, get praying about it. You have one month left before we, uh, we close the proposals uh, down, and then we can start to put together a great menu for September. Okay, we're starting a new series this morning called Offering My All, and we're going to be basing ourselves in Romans chapter 12. So if you have a Bible with you, you might like to turn there now, and we're going to read a couple of verses uh, together in a moment. Um, As you might know, this church is led by a team of elders or pastors, and uh, it's a team of men uh, who serve this church. Some are on staff, some are not, some have regular jobs, and uh, I have the privilege of leading that team. And the teaching in this church is, the majority of the teaching in this church will be done by uh, the elders of the church. But we do have in our ranks here some really gifted men and women who are not elders amongst us, who we want to be encouraged by. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be hearing uh, from Matt Cornish and from Hannah Alston as they uh, uh, unpack some more of this series amongst us. And I really want to encourage you all to come ready and expectant to be encouraged by what they have to share. And over the summer months, there will be uh, one or two others as well who are not elders amongst us who will come and share uh, from the Bible for our encouragement. So let me urge you to come ready to learn and be equipped. Okay, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, and uh, we're going to read the first couple of verses together. Paul writes this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This morning I want to look at what is true worship. What is true worship? The Westminster Catechism, or catechism, however you pronounce it, announced that the, uh, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That was kind of these clever guys got together hundreds of years ago, and they were working out a set of statements about what they believed, and they said the chief end of man, man's highest purpose, was to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now, if that's the case, and if it's about worship, we need to work out what worship looks like. We need to work out what is worship all about, if it's our highest purpose. And Paul is writing here uh, in Romans chapter 12, he starts his sentence with, therefore. 
Now, if we see the word therefore, then we have to uh, understand that we've got some catching up to do. There's some things that we need to know about, because you don't just start a sentence with therefore without having said quite a lot of stuff before then. And he says here, therefore, by the mercies of God, or in view of the mercies of God. We have dived in to the book of Romans at a really crucial point. The book of Romans is without doubt the most theologically rich book of the Bible. It is packed with theology packed with theology about how we as uh, humankind have fallen away from God, how we've uh, gone our own way, how uh, apart from Christ we're in big trouble, we're facing the wrath of God, we're, uh, we're, we're really in a hopeless situation without him, and that how God has sent his son as, a, as an offering for our sin, that we could be justified, that we could be forgiven, we could be set free. And we see in Romans chapter 8, this amazing chapter, really probably the most amazing chapter in all of the Bible, about our security in Christ, how we cannot be separated from the love of God. We sung about that this morning, a song that's based on that chapter, that we, in death, in life, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. These incredible chapters rich in theology, and Paul summarizes all of those first 11 chapters as this, in view of the mercies of God. These chapters are about the mercy of God. Well, mercy, what does it mean? Well, firstly, it's compassion to the weak, and it's reprieve to the guilty. It's compassion for the weak, and it's reprieve for the guilty. That's what mercy is. And God, in Christ, has showed compassion to us, hasn't he? When we were weak, He's shown compassion to us. He's shown reprieve to us. We were guilty, and he's shown forgiveness to us. And it's from that that we now base our lives. It's from that place that we now worship God. The Christian life is built upon something. It flows from something, and that something is the mercy of God. That's what I want to really hammer home this morning. God has not treated us as our sins deserve. He's shown us compassion that's where worship flows from. That's where true worship flows from. It doesn't, uh, uh, worship doesn't flow from our need to try and prove ourselves to God or to others that we're good enough. It doesn't flow from a, uh, a need to uh, try and uh, protect ourselves from God's wrath because actually in Christ we've now been saved from his wrath. So it's not about fearing punishment if we don't worship him. Nor is it based from a desire to get something in return. If I worship God, well, then I might get something back. No, worship flows from the mercy that God has shown to us. Worship flows from an amazement of the mercy of God. James Edwards, in his commentary on Romans, writes this, True Christian ethics are ethics of gratitude. Worship pleasing to God is characterized by free and willing submission because of God's prior sacrifice on our behalf. So I've got a question this morning. Does your life reflect a life of worship to God? And if it does, what is that worship based on? Is it based on, as I've said already, a fear that if I don't worship, then God might abandon me or punish me? Is it based on, I I need to try and prove myself to God that I am good enough or prove myself to others? Is it in hope of some sort of return that God might bless me if I worship him well? Or is it flowing from an amazement at the mercy of God? Is it flowing from an amazement at the truths that we read in books like Romans, where God has shown us such great mercy? Paul has gone to great lengths in this letter to this church in Rome that he was coming to visit. He's gone at great lengths to show them the mercy of God. We see in chapter 1, which is a pretty miserable chapter, about uh, how, how much of a mess we've got ourselves in as humankind 
he says this, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the the creatures rather than the creator who is blessed forever. That's our story before we come to know Jesus. We were worshipping other things. We might not have been uh, coming to a building for uh, half an hour on a Sunday to, to sing songs to other things, but we were treasuring and prioritizing other things other than the creator. Created things we were worshipping. That's the essence of sin. It's misdirected worship. That's what sin is. It's, it's, it's worshipping other things that are not the creator. Whether it be ourselves, and I think that's probably the big one in our culture, that we serve ourselves, we treasure ourselves higher than God, and we seek to, to fill our lives with comfort and riches. Or it might be other people that we idolize and think, I really, uh, I really want to be them. I want to uh, exalt them in some way. Or it might be a dream or possessions. There's other things that we've served and treasured other than God. That is the essence of sin. It's misdirected worship. So Paul says here that rather than glorifying God, they worshipped themselves. They did not glorify him nor give thanks to him. We made a mess of our lives. We make a mess of our lives when we redirect our, when we direct our worship at anything else other than God. Is that your story? That's my story. That when I've, I've, I've directed my worship at other things, it makes a mess not only of my life, but of others' lives too. So this is kind of the situation we find ourselves in. And then in Romans chapter 5, the good news comes in. And there's a bit of good news before that as well. But this is a great summary of it. Verses 6 to 11. While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we now have been justified by his blood, that means made right with God by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, that means being brought back to him, Much more shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So in Jesus coming to earth, he has made a way for us to be brought back into relationship with God. That's what reconciliation means. By his blood, by his sacrifice on our behalf, we have been reconciled to God. We need to be reminded of this. You and I need to be reminded of this daily. We need to be reminded of this weekly as we gather together. I know that I'm preaching to the converted here because you're sat in church, but let me urge you, come to church. Let me urge you, if you're listening on the podcast, come to church because it's here that we get reminded of the mercies of God. And it's from that place that then worship flows from our lives. I know that we have many other things that might demand our attention, but we need to be coming to the word of God on Sundays and in our day-to-day lives with our friends and in our groups, we need to be coming to the Word of God so that we can be reminded of the mercies of God. Please, let's prioritize being here. Let's prioritize being here in church whenever we can be because we need to be reminded that we were sinners, we were hopeless and in a really bad situation, but now, because of Jesus, we've been saved and that from that place, worship will flow. Then we'll sing, as we've sung this morning, it's the overflow of a forgiven soul. My heart, it cannot stay silent. That's, that's the essence of worship. And as I'll say later on, it's not just about singing songs, it's about our whole lives. 
But the essence of worship is that it's an overflow of a forgiven soul. That's when we'll sing and dance. That's when we'll live our lives radically in obedience to Jesus because we have been saved. We, we need to destroy the sense of entitlement in our lives. I, I look at other cultures, other nations, and I'm looking forward to International Sunday on the 16th. We're going to celebrate the nations that are making up this church because I, I look at other nations and I see the way they, they worship God with, with raucous praise and, and uh, abandonment and I, I get the sense that it's because in many other cultures there's not a sense of entitlement. There's not a sense of, I, I deserve better. There's not a sense of, I, you know, I deserve good things. Whereas in our culture, so often there's many good things about this culture, but one of the big things is that we, we, we have a sense in which we deserve good things. It's our right. And it's when we have a sense of entitlement that we actually don't worship passionately. It's when we don't praise passionately because we think, I deserve better. And when we actually see our position that we're in from the Scriptures, when we're reminded of the seriousness of our sin... We get a biblical view of sin. It's not just uh, hurting people. It's, as I've said already, it's directing our worship at things that are not God. When we get a serious view of our sin, uh, then actually we'll have a, a proper view of the mercy of God that he's shown us. And we'll celebrate that. We'll celebrate that. We won't be indifferent to it. We won't be a kind of, oh, I'm just going to sit and just watch things go by on a Sunday morning because I have been forgiven. I was heading for destruction, but now Jesus has turned my life around. We need to get a biblical view of our sin and a biblical view of the mercy of God. When we see our helpless situation outside of Jesus and then the mercy that he's shown us in dying in our place, we can live out true worship. So we've seen where worship flows from. It flows from a view of the mercy of God. What does it look like? Does it look like 30 to 35 minutes of singing on a Sunday? Yes, in part, but not in its totality. Does it look like... uh, Singing in the car on the way to work, praise and worship, yes, in part, but not in its totality. I had a, uh, an incident once when I was air drumming in the car and I started to use my steering wheel as a drum and I inadvertently caused road rage as that happened. Not re- the, was, the music was so loud in my car, I didn't realize that I was actually beeping my horn at the person in front of me. Um, <clears throat> so worship does look like singing and praising God, but it's not, that's not the whole story. The whole story is that we make an offering, not of animals as they would have done in the Old Testament, not of human beings, although some of us might, might fancy offering up our mother-in-law, for example. Uh, Brenda, if you're listening, I, do, I love you lots and lots. And uh, I shouldn't have said that. Um, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, offer your bodies as living sacrifices in view of Jesus' great offering of himself, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. God sent his son for us. He didn't send his son for us that we might be intellectually enlightened or that we might have our morals improved. No, he sent his son that we would be saved, wholly saved, that all of us would be saved. And then our fitting response is that all of us would be given in response, not just, uh, not just a Sunday morning, not just parts of our lives as we heard already, that the fitting response is to offer everything. We offer a living sacrifice. And that sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? It sounds contradictory because sacrifices are, by their very nature, dead. And Paul says here, offer a living sacrifice. Why do we not offer death? Because there's only one physical death required for our forgiveness. And that was given for us on the cross. That was sufficient for the wrath of God to be satisfied and for our shame and sin to be washed away. 
by the blood of Jesus, sufficient for our atonement. This sacrifice is holy, we see here. It means set apart. It means set apart. Uh, as we might set apart some, some money in our bank account, we might say, well, that £200 is going towards our holiday. We set that apart. That's going to be used for nothing else. So our lives are to be set apart for God. They were set apart for other things before we knew Jesus. They were set apart for maybe whatever it was that we were running headlong after. But now we're set apart, all of us. Okay, this is it now. I'm in, and it's for Jesus. I'm living for his glory, his fame. His glory is my number one priority. We offer our hands, we offer our feet, we offer our minds, we offer our mouths, we offer our ears, we offer our sexual organs, all of it, and say, God, let this be holy and pleasing to you. I want all of this to please you. I want all of this to be in worship of you. That's what it looks like to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. When I read the New Testament, when I read the second part of the Bible, which is all about Jesus and what happened after he had gone and and sent his Holy Spirit, I don't see any interest here in ritual. I don't see any interest here in the sacrificial system of old, other than to say that's now obsolete because Jesus has laid down his life. He's the ultimate sacrifice. The New Testament is very casual when it comes to place or form of our worship. It's not about... um, it's not about doing certain rituals, although they're not necessarily bad, but the, the deal here is that God is interested in our whole lives being offered to him as worship. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets a, a lady, a Samaritan woman, um, at a well, and he has a word of knowledge for her. He sees things in her life that um, he wouldn't have otherwise known, and he's chatting with her, and he says, there's a time coming when People won't worship God on this mountain or in Jerusalem on that mountain, but actually that they will worship God in spirit and in truth. There's a time coming, and that time that he was talking about was a time when he would offer up his life as the ultimate sacrifice. So that it didn't matter now about taking a lamb to a temple or to, to, to kind of sacrifice any other kind of animal. No, it's because that sacrifice has been made... The time has come now that it doesn't matter where we go to worship God. We worship him in every arena of life. So we might worship him in, a, in, an, ag- in an agricultural showground as we did last week at Together 17. Or it might be that as we worship in an old factory building here. Or maybe one day we might worship in, a, in an old cinema. Maybe one day we might worship there. We worship God. It doesn't matter where we worship him. We might worship him in our shower cubicle. We might worship him in a, in a living room. Or in our office. Or on a sports field. We worship him. It's not about where now. It's about all of life being offered up to him. This is only possible. It's only possible to live a life of true worship when we live our lives in view of the mercy of God. I tell you, it is impossible any other way. I've tried, believe me. When you try and live out a life of worship from a place of kind of, I feel like I need to stay in God's good books somehow, then you will not succeed. If you try and live out a life of worship that says, I've got to try and look the part in front of other people, then you will not succeed because internally you'll be a mess and you'll feel guilty because externally you look the part, but internally nothing's going on inside that's worshipful of God. It's only possible to live a life of true worship when we have the mercies of God in our view, when we remind ourselves of the mercy of God. So let's flesh this out a little bit. What does it look like? to be living sacrifices. Well, today I want to look particularly at our time and how we use our time. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at our treasure and our talent. Us preachers love a good bit of alliteration, okay? So we're looking at time, treasure, and talent. And today we're going to look a little bit about how we worship God with our time. 
Paul, in verse 2, we read together earlier, chapter 12, he says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What is required here if we're to offer true worship with regards to our time is a change of worldview, a radical change of worldview. That's what's required here. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. Some other translations you might have there might say, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. I love the Phillips um, paraphrase on this verse. It says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. How does this look? Does it simply look like us seeing what the world does and then just doing the exact opposite to that? No, I don't think it looks like that at all. We need to have transformed minds. An internal work needs to happen. An internal work needs to happen. God's desire for each one of us, if we know him, is for us to change. His desire is for you to change. He wants you to be transformed. This verse could more uh, accurately be translated, go on being transformed, because the tense is present continuous, which we don't really... uh, it doesn't really uh, show this in the passage here, but when you boil it down to the original Greek that the language it was written in, it, it would actually accurately translate as go on being transformed. Don't just be transformed, you know, 10 years ago when you gave your life to Jesus, but go on being transformed. His desire for you is that you go on being changed. And some of us might think, I can't change. I've tried changing and I've given up trying because I just cannot change You need to repent of that this morning. You need to repent of that attitude this morning. Turn away from it this morning because what is impossible with man is possible with God. That's what Jesus says. With God, it's not impossible. You can change. Maybe you're thinking, I'm stuck in a rut of of particular thought patterns or particular actions, particular addictions or particular ways of reacting to things. I simply cannot change. Yes, you can change because with with God, everything is possible. So you need to repent of that this morning if, that is your, if that's your thought. We need to be, instead of being conformed to this world, we're to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's God's plan for us. He wants to conform us to the likeness of his son, that we might more and more and more look like Jesus. And, you know, Jesus stood out, didn't he? He stood out, he stood out in, in his day and age. He stands out in history as a unique figure who has literally um, divided history into two, into B.C. and A.D. Jesus stood out. And as we are conformed more and more to the likeness of Jesus, we will stand out. We will stand out. And society, this society supposedly promotes individualism. Just be who you want to be. Don't let anyone tell you what you should be. You know, follow your dreams. That's the kind of... Uh, the, the, the narrative of this culture. However, society does that and then simultaneously pumps out images of things that we should be. Okay, so it's quite contradictory. And some of the most effective images are those that we, we, we recognize least through, through the media, through advertising, through uh, education. Our society is saying, you've got to be like this if you want to be in, if you want to be accepted. You have to be like this. And James Edwards again in his commentary, says this, the Christian life is an ongoing discipline of learning to be transformed by the lordship of Christ rather than being conformed to social, moral, and even spiritual images. Our minds have to come 
to see. They have to be trained by the word of God to come to see that the, what the world offers, the way that the world offers, is really, it's going to lead to misery for us. It's going to lead to misery. But the way that Jesus offers is the way of true life. So we need to train our minds. We need to have our minds transformed and renewed. So when it comes to time, how can we, uh, how can we have our minds renewed? Well, renewal of our minds often looks like unlearning some things before we learn some things. And when we, we look at how the world uh, comes to assess the subject of time, we could look at particular phrases that are popular in our culture. A big one, time is money. That's a big one, right? And so if time is money, that, that means we have to work our butts off in order to earn more money. And it takes more and more of our time, more and more of our lives in order to get m- more wealth. That seems to be a driving force for many in our culture, many maybe even in our church, because time is money, or so our culture says, we have to work ourselves into the ground to earn all we can. And everyone else just gets put aside. Our family, our church life, everything else gets put aside because we need more money. Or we say we need to have some me time. That's another classic phrase in our culture. Take it slow. Enjoy a life of luxury and leisure. You deserve it. Indulge yourself. Make it all about you. Many other phrases. We spend time, don't we? We invest time. We waste time. These are some of the phrases we have in our culture. But there seems to be... Uh, an indication that time is ultimately all about ourselves. The way we spend our time should be spent on ourselves. That's uh, kind of the, the prevailing attitude that I see. There's some wisdom to be found in time management, about how to be more productive in our work or whatever. But when it comes to the Bible, our view on how we spend our time is transformed not by um, nuggets of wisdom or, or management, time management techniques, but by actually seeing the era in which we live. That's how... Uh, We have our minds changed when it comes to how we spend our time. I want to show you this from the following chapter, chapter 13 of Romans, where uh, Paul is, uh, he's been talking about loving uh, their their neighbors, and he says this in verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And he says this in verse 11, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. What Paul is saying here is that in order to use our time well, We need to understand the era in which we live. And the era in which we live is the era in which we're expecting the return of Christ. And that day is nearer now than it was when I started preaching this sermon. That day is nearer now than it was before you woke up this morning. The day of Jesus' return is coming. And Paul says, therefore, in the view of that, in the view of the fact that he's returning, let us use our time well for God-glorifying purposes. He says in Ephesians chapter 5, Verses 15 to 16, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Do we need any more reminder right now in our country that the days are evil? We've seen some evil things going on in these last few months. And Paul's saying, make the, make the best use of the time, because the days are evil. There's a world to win for Jesus. Therefore, we don't waste time. 
We don't waste time. We don't spend day and night in monotony, in isolation, in laziness. We wake up to the reality of Christ's return. The days are evil. I don't want to prescribe what we should and should not do. That's not my desire this morning. But I want to stress that if our minds are trained by God's word, then we'll see that Jesus' return is imminent. It's imminent. He will return. We don't know when it might be. It might, it might be days. It might be years. It might be decades. It might be centuries. But the, Bible's, the, the worldview of the Bible is that Jesus is going to return. And he's going to come like a thief in the night. And Jesus doesn't even know when he's going to return. Only the Father knows. He's going to return like a thief in the night. And this, I believe, should impact the way we use our time. This will help us to make good decisions when, it, when we're faced with opportunities as to how we might spend our time. It's this change of worldview that will give us wisdom. What will magnify Jesus? What will bring, glorify, what will bring glory to him? You don't have to have a theology degree to uh, make decisions when it comes to how you use your time. It's having our minds renewed, simply looking at the word of God, simply seeing that Jesus is returning. He's shown me great mercy. Now I'm going to offer myself as a living sacrifice. We need to pray like the psalmist in Psalm 90 says this, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. We need to see that we don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when Jesus is going to say, that's the end for you. We don't know when he's going to call you home. We don't know when he's going to call, I don't know when he's going to call me home. So psalmist says, teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. When we do this, we'll, I believe we'll live all out for him. We'll live a life of worship in view of his mercy. To see many saved, to see this church grow and flourish, to see churches established, to see nations reached, to see disciples made. And maybe this morning, you, you might be feeling quite convicted because you might think, actually, I waste a lot of time. I waste a lot of time. And you might be thinking here this morning, oh, I'm, I'm rubbish. You need to know that the mercy of God that I've spoken about this morning, his mercies are new every morning. They're new every morning. So you can, like the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the church in Philippi, he says, I forget what's gone behind, and I, I press forward. I press forward for the goal. I'm, forget, I'm leaving that behind now. I'm saying goodbye to laziness. I'm saying goodbye to a waste of time. I'm going to press forward for the goal. I just want to finish by bringing us back to the cross. You know, we, we are no longer our own. We're no longer our own. That's quite an offensive message, isn't it? That's a really offensive message to this uh, individualist society that says, I'm going to just go after the things that I want. Paul writes to the Corinthians in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Our freedom, our freedom from slavery to sin was bought at a great price. It was bought at the price of Jesus' life itself. We were slaves to our own self-centered desires. No way out of slavery. No way of buying ourselves out. And then came a master with resources to buy us out of slavery. To set us free. He paid the ransom. Our bodies are no longer chunks of flesh to be sold to the highest bidder. 
Our bodies are no longer slaves to sin. We've been bought with a price. We belong to a new master who is Jesus, and he's a master that we can fully trust because he laid down his life for us. That was the price he paid to, to buy us out of slavery. He laid down his life for us. Isn't it fitting that in response we would say, Jesus, I belong to you. I'm no longer my own. I'm no longer my own because you show me such mercy. Should we stand together? I'd love it if we could respond by celebrating the cross together, that we could respond by thanking Jesus for this mercy, by lifting him high together. Let's pray before we sing. Father God, we thank you for showing us your mercy. Lord, we really don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. Just think for a moment, friends, just about the way in which even today we've let, uh, we've let God down. We've, we've fallen by, his own, by our own standards, let alone his. Just think about that for a moment. And now just think about the mercy that he's shown you. He doesn't cast you out of his presence. He doesn't say, I've had enough of them now. I've done it again. He's shown us such mercy. Thank you, Father, for mercy. Thank you that you've not treated us as our sins deserve. You've shown us compassion. You've shown us forgiveness. Lord God, we revel in that. We delight in that. It makes our hearts sing. It makes our hearts sing. Lord, we love you in reply. We love you in reply, Lord. We say that you are glorious. You're wonderful. And now we just offer ourselves to you again as living sacrifices. We want to be pleasing to you in the way we live our lives. We want to acknowledge we are not our own, Lord. We were bought at a price. We want to use our time well. Lord, we want to use our time to do things that glorify you. We want to use our time to make others glad in you. We want to use our time to tell others about you and to disciple those that already know you. We want to use our time well. Lord God, we want to really just give you the glory that you deserve. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the amazing sacrifice on our behalf that you gave for us. We love you in reply, Lord Jesus. Just before we sing, friends, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, follow me as I pray and maybe pray this in your heart. Lord, I recognize that I went my own way. And Lord, I... I know I put other things before you. I worshipped other things. But I know that you've sent your son. I know that you sent Jesus. And this now means I can know complete forgiveness. Complete security. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your mercy. I choose to follow you. I choose to give my life to you. If you've prayed that along with me, let me encourage you. Please tell me later on or tell someone you came with. I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear to help you on your next step of what it means to be a Christian, how you can get baptized, how you can uh, be helped to grow in your faith. We'd love to help you. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.